What's going on, everybody? We're live. This is the locker room with Shep. Um, I am your host, uh, Paris Shepherd, Shep, a.k.a. Um, I have uh, three special guests here with me today. Um, we have, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Um, but be- before I, before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to all the viewers out there. You can catch this on Facebook Live. You can catch this on SoundCloud. You can catch this on um, Apple Pod as well um, for your audio only. Um, if you want video, you can catch it on YouTube and then, of course, on Facebook Live on my page and then any page that it is shared on. Um, three special guests again. Um, all three of these guests are authors, um, pastors, doctors in, in many different forms, uh, public speakers as well. Um, and I want to go ahead and let them introduce themselves uh, before we jump into the show. So without further ado. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Yurita Taylor, author of His Strength in My Weakness, A Journey of Brokenness, Breakthrough, and Transformation. Thank you guys for allowing me into the space of your home. I'm so excited to be sharing the story of my book with you today. My book can be found on Amazon as well as hisstrengththebook.com and also on theripeawakening.com. Please pick up a copy. It will be sure to enlighten you. It chronicles my story as I left my humble beginnings in Antigua and moved to the United States, the struggles that I went through. But my book tells its best where it shows where once I succumbed to God's purpose for my life, how it changed me. So hence the title, His Strength in My Weakness. And I hope that it could help readers out there. Like I said, please pick up a copy. It's $14.99. I just reduced the price a bit so that everyone could pick up a copy and be enlightened by it. So uh, without further ado, Ms. Bridget, go ahead. Okay. Good evening, everyone. My name is Bridget Samuel Charles, and um, I'll just give you a little bit of a background of, of, about myself. I was born and raised on the beautiful island of Antigua in the Caribbean, and I immigrated to the United States and devoted most of my life to being an educator. I would honestly describe myself as a lifelong educator, um, mostly in the middle school grades. But However, I have taught all the way from first grade through college. Um, I'm also a lay minister in the United Methodist Church. I've written a children's book titled Grandma's Kisses, and um, I've also written several plays, including The Urgency of Now and Complications. My newest work is a novel titled No Regrets. It's, I'm really excited about this book because it is roughly based on the life of a remarkable woman, the matriarch of my family, my mother. And I really and truly believe that um, in telling my mother's story uh, and in fictionalizing it, uh, many people can, can gain from it. I have I've gotten nothing but good reviews so far. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, when you pick up my book and read it, you will also, you know, be excited and, and, and will learn something from it. It also tells about struggles and how she deals with struggles in her life. Um, my book, No Regrets, can be uh, purchased on Amazon.com as well as Barnes & Noble. And very shortly, my website will be up and, and running and I will be giving you, uh, you, you'll get further information about that. But if you visit the Ripe Awakening page, you can get additional information. I thank you for listening, and now I'm going to pass the ball to Pastor Delican. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Minister Charles. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you, Brother Shep, for just hosting us. Thank you for being such a gracious host. So it's good to be part of the conversation. My uh, my work has to do with the arts of Joseph. It is a it is a depiction. It is an exploration of the life of one of the great patriarchs of Israel. Uh, that is Joseph, the dreamer, the brother with many colors, the wonderful visionary, the wonderful brother that went from prison to being prime minister. And what I try to chronicle in that work is how God, who is the great artist, works 
on Joseph to work through Joseph. And so it's an attempt to show how we and our trust on God can move us from pit to, to pulpit and into God's awesome arms. Uh, we have had a great time writing the book, and my work as the pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church of Dayton has sort of given me a platform to look at the miracles through the madness of people's lives and how God's artwork can emerge uh, from this awesome encounter. Uh, the Arts of Joseph is uh, sort of my fourth book. Uh, we've just completed one on called The Trumpet of Compassion, uh, in which we look at uh, the whole language of justice and righteousness in modern American society. Uh, the book can be found on the Ripe Awakening website, has been already articulated today, but I'm just glad to be part of this conversation. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, good evening. Um, definitely, again, um, make sure that we visit those websites. Um, I, I did share a post uh, earlier with those links, and then at the end of the show, I will repost those links um, to make sure that uh, anyone who wants to go out and purchase a copy of the books, um, The Arts of Joseph, um, No Regrets, and His Strength in My Weakness, um, please go uh, get a copy of those. Um, so I want to jump into the show. Um, and I kind of want to um, talk about something that each that each one of you have in your book, um, and that is the power to overcome. And, um, Pastor, I want to start with you. Um, I know that you said that you that you um, you know want to you want to show how God works in the madness of, of people's lives, um, and, and in that madness, um, there's. You know, there's different things that's going on, trials, tribulations, or whatnot. Um, so kind of talk about um, what it is that, that you do um, in that light. How do you do it? And um, how do you show that power to overcome? Right. Excellent question. So for me, the power to overcome can also be explained with the great theme of the song, Gracefully Broken. Okay. That, that we overcome in God simply by doing the opposite of overcoming, and that is to undergo, right? So you undergo in God, right? Because the point of overcoming is to really overcome ourselves, mm -hmm. the, the barriers within ourselves, the, the gaps within ourselves, the dysfunctions within ourselves, the sort of negative toxic proclivities within ourselves. And so what God does when God is going to use someone masterfully and mightily, God, first of all, uh, 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 puts that person through a process of chastening, of discipline, of breaking, if you will. And so we call it gracefully broken, a la the song by Tasha Cos, because we are broken, but we are still in the awesome hands of God. And so out of that brokenness now, God begins to form us into a new creature, a new person, give us a new mindset, give, gives us new proclivities and motivations so that our agenda no longer becomes our own. It becomes totally to God. And so we, we, you get an attitude of gratitude or, or you present your body as a living sacrifice. And if I may say, uh, the, the power of the books that we're dealing with today, and I've studied, not just read Strength and Weakness by Dr. Taylor and No Regrets, that what you see, this is a common theme of people who are broken. Mm -hmm. But their brokenness is not left in that state. We are being rebuilt by the awesome power of an all-loving and all-wise God. And so the key to overcoming is surrender. I surrender all. Mm -hmm. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Mm -hmm. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. That's how we overcome. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I want to uh, add uh, Ms. Uh, Charles to the show, um, and, and if you could, um, you know, kind of go on the same topic of the power to overcome, the power to overcome, and kind of talk about, um, you know, things that you went through, or you know, how did you help uh, people overcome um, or show that strength in overcoming? Um, well, <laughs> I, I do believe that we're all overcomers in one way or another. And I, as a pastor was speaking, that song, that hymn, All to Jesus, I Surrender, that was just playing in my head. And um, that is the way that we have to go in order to overcome. Uh, we can't do it in our own strength. And anyone who tries to do that 
is simply uh, using the recipe for failure. Mm. We have to just surrender it all to God, and He will, He will, you know, take care of it. Um, I mean, over the years, you, you, once you live in the world, you will accumulate so many examples of, of just trusting God, and He will work things out for you. And he will work them out in such a way that you would have never, ever have imagined them to be, you know, worked out. Um, and at the time when you're going through it, sometimes you're saying, well, why, is he, why isn't God coming through? Why isn't God working this out? But then when you look back, you realize, hey, God could see the big picture, and he was working it all out. And, um, you know, I, I can give you an example. For ex I'll just say, my, my husband and I and my family, we lost our home in a fire Wow! back in the 1990s. Now, technically, I was homeless that night because our house went up in smoke. But through that fire, the community came together. I remember running out of the house in the middle of January, no shoes on my feet, no socks, nothing. Um, the, uh, the thing was just to come out of the house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the first things the neighbor did was to bring me a pair of socks. And I'll never, ever forget that. And to this day, I mean, in my, in my time as, a, as, a, as a, an advisor for the National Junior Honor Society, one of our big pushes was always to collect socks for the homeless <laughs> because yeah. I never forgot that. Um, but what, I, what I'm trying to say is that through that, that fire drew a lot of people close together. Uh, a lot of relatives said, wow, we're now going to make sure that our fire uh, extinguishers work. We're mm -hmm. going to make sure that, the, you know, people were just coming together and doing the right thing and just making sure that they stayed safe. And we also got a, a brand new house out of it, and uh, we decided to stay in the neighborhood, not to move out, because, you know what, God was just with us and God saw us through. And so we came out of it better then we went into it. So to God be the glory. To God, to God be the glory, definitely. Amen. Um, and Ms. Taylor, what's your thoughts about it? As I listened to Pastor when he was talking about overcoming, what came to my mind was, because he's right, it's a time where you're taken from a pit into the kingdom of God. And sometimes we ask, why doesn't God do for me what he does for others? Mm -hmm. But he's willing to do that. And he does do that. But sometimes we doesn't heed that call. So I'm taken back to my book when I wrote it and the, the struggles that I went through and the things I had to push back. And I used to think it was me. I was doing it. Mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. anger was what got me to overcome homelessness, hunger, and waiting out there in the cold or the hot sun waiting for the bus, taking care of these children on my own. I used to think that it was my anger. But as I wrote book two, there is a sequel to this book, by the way, I realized and I learned God had to teach me it was not me. <laughs> I had my moment, I had my Joseph moment, mm -hmm. and I didn't know. Wow. Because I, as I was down there, there's no way I should have made it back up. Mm -hmm. But what it was that helped me to overcome was what I was taught in Antigua. I also was born in Antigua. Mm -hmm. And as I was, I had my breakdown that night, I thought about Girls Brigade, which is called Girl Scout here. Okay. I thought about going to Sunday school, going to church. I was down there broken and ready, and I'm like, Lord, you know what? Take me right now. I am so tired of this life. I'm just tired, and I'm ready to give up. But he wasn't. So he was, he gracefully, what was that? Gracefully broken. I had mm -hmm. my gracefully broken moment. Mm -hmm. I had my Joseph moment. Mm -hmm. And he brought me through it. So he was like, okay, this is what I need to do to get you to look to me. Mm -hmm. it is, your life is not about you. It's Pastor not. said it's best in his book where he wrote, and I'm powerful and he's saying that our struggles are meant to be our testimony to help others Definitely. and the things that we are ashamed to speak about those Ooh. are the things we need to speak because they help us to overcome they help us to see God Preach, Ms. Tyler. <laughs> no, 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 not that but it's just I have been through a lot mm -hmm. and 
I he just had to keep breaking me over and over because I was so stubborn. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through a lot of things because I tried to do things my way, but then he brought me through it. And I am so thankful that he did because now as I sit here, I think about the people that are listening right now, the people that will listen tomorrow on those other platforms, mm-hmm. and they will say, okay, let me try again. If Dr. Taylor and Pastor Delkin and Minister Charles could say they were gracefully broken and they are here giving this, I want to do the same. So that's when I look at overcoming. That's what I think about the stuff that we go through and how we come out of it. Because some people don't see overcome as the same way. It's okay. Um, I have two more dollars than I did yesterday to overcome. But did you overcome? What did you overcome? Yeah. Overcoming, you have to involve God in it somehow so you can really see what you overcame. Because the stuff that I struggled with back there, I don't struggle with now. My struggles are different. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I posted something on Facebook and I said, um, let your ego go so God can show his ego in your life. And that's kind of what what I'm hearing now is that we had to... Um, or, you know, or you had to let, it's not about you, like you said, you know, it's bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think every individual has to understand that in life um, in order to really move forward. Um, also that when you're at, when you're broken, um, you're at your closest to him. Um, and it may not seem like it in those moments, but if you reach out, you know, and if you, and if you, uh, you know, you ask him and you come to him, he definitely can work in your life. Um, we just got to be able to trust him. Um, in those moments, um, and and again, not lean on our own words and, and our own understanding um, with things. So I definitely agree with that with that message. Thank you. Powerful. Yes, yes, yes. Let our ego go. So <clears throat> I want to get into some environmental things um, because we know life is full of decisions and choices. Uh-huh. Um, and those decisions and choices we make is sometimes what can lead to our to our downfall or to our uprising. Um, but I want to ask do you know a question, and anyone can start. Um, but I want to know: Does do you think environments dictate decisions that we make? I actually believe that they do. Okay. Um, to, I mean, and and we can use that as a reason or an excuse, if you will, up to a certain point, um, because uh, I don't want to jump into my book too early, but um, back in the day with our parents and, and, and their parents, uh, if we all just take a look back, we realize that discipline was very, very strict. And not only your parents were allowed to discipline you, but the neighbors and the teachers were allowed to you know, spank you at school and all sorts of things were that way. And what I say to that is that people do what they, people make decisions based on what they have to work with. Mm-hmm. Some of these people didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And that is why they, they, you know, they disciplined us the way they did or, you know, people do the best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. And that's a quote that I, I, I use. And I, I do believe that that's true, because I don't believe that any any right-thinking parents would want to hurt their child. However, if you think back, and I know back in, in the islands, the, back in the grandparents' day, it was very, very harsh, and they would beat you to within an inch of your life sometimes, and, uh, you know, so... Yes. They didn't know better. I think I, mm-hmm. I personally feel people do what they have to do, what, what they are, what they have done, based on the environment that they live in and what they perceive to be the right way to do things. Yes, because it's all it's all they know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's what yeah. they've been, what you've been brought up brought up upon. It's almost kind of like a um, uh, brainwashing of some yeah. sort, um, unintentionally. Socialized. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of you, one of you guys want to go ahead and speak on that topic, or? I'll that to you, Pastor. Well, let me just say, this is sort of one of my, the areas of my, of my, it's, it's a passionate area for me. And so my sort of thumbnail response, Brother Shep, is to say yes. Mm-hmm. That both, that, that yes and no. And what I mean by that is, 
Environment does not dictate consciousness. Okay. But environment shapes consciousness. And you can, you can, you can, you can, there's evidence by looking at a span of disciplines, both in terms of the liberal arts as well as social science and, and even and even science. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. In the formation of a child, in the consciousness of a child, a child does not cannot speak language. A child, according to Freud, learns language by listening to one's parent. By the mother, mo- you can't learn how to say I, mama, daddy. It is it is it's from the environment that they learn. They learn their names from their environment. They learn how to go to the bathroom from their environment. So at a certain stage, the environment absolutely is the over-determining factor in the formation of identity and consciousness. I think that's pretty much universal. I think what happens then is that there's a process called individuation in which the child now begins to separate and disaggregate themselves from their parent, mm-hmm. right? And that's a process of maturation. Well, that takes time, and depending on the culture, that may begin somewhere between four, five, six, seven, where the child can now go out and play by themselves and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, now, at that stage, though, environment still shapes you because you still need to learn how to play on the playground, how to share your games, that kind of stuff. But then you get to a point where adulthood arises, and I'm cutting a lot of things short here, yeah. in which now you develop what Dr. King called your somebodiness. Mm. The Christian faith talks about this in terms of imago Dei, that you now understand who you are in terms of your inviolable dignity, right, and your wholesome integrity, that mm. you know who Shep is, you know who Dr. Taylor is. But the point I'm trying to make is that cannot be extracted from the fact that you come out of a tradition, you mm-hmm. come out of a circle of formation, you come out of a family background. And what, what, what I'm trying to argue is oftentimes <clears throat> the health of that adult is predetermined by the health of the community that shapes that adult. So at a particular stage of adolescence, if somebody now moves to, to hang out with gang members and people that, that shape you a, a particular way, then you tend to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, 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 biblical, the biblical, if you will, one of the biblical paradigms that African Americans tend to use is when the eagle stirs the nest. That after a particular time, the mother says, now it's time for you to go and fly on your own wings. Mm-hmm. And does not beg the, the baby eagle to go out, but pushes the baby out from a high altitude. And then the baby learns to fly on their own. Mm-hmm. But you have to move out of your comfort zone to find who you are in that regard. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so to a certain degree, environment does shape. And then you, when you become who you are, then what happens is you begin to turn back. This is the ideal. You begin to turn back and pour back into the community that shapes you, but you have to give that community now positive, progressive, what we call Promethean values. And I think that's the dialectic, or that's the, that's the interplay between the two, uh, between how, you know, what we call nature and nurture. So I would just leave it like that, but I think it's both that you find those, mm-hmm. and again, this is the power. You find those in strength and weakness that after my sister comes to a certain level of consciousness, mm-hmm. she begins to leave alone some of the negative toxic elements that formed her. You find that in Aileen, the, 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 the protagonist of the novel, that after they get to a certain level, then they give back. You find that in the life of Joseph, but you have to transcend the toxic elements of your background, mm-hmm. but you have to affirm yeah. The life-giving elements of your background, and both are there, mm-hmm. right? And I think prayer is one way that you disentangle those two things. So I'll just offer those. Definitely, definitely, I definitely agree with those with those comments. Um, I want to uh, first off uh, give a shout out. This is uh, Michelle Summerlin um, saying hello, Pastor. Thank you for being an awesome man of God. We love you at TBC. Hey, my sister. We love you, Michelle, and we love TBC, Definitely. where miracles happen. Mm-hmm. Right, Chef? Yeah, right, Dr. Taylor. Yeah. Right, Mr. Charles? <laughs> we thank God. Mr. Charles, we've been to your church. Well, you've been to it through you guys. <laughs> God bless you, Michelle. Okay, so um, I want to go into some uh, things. Uh, one of the uh, hot topics that I've had and debated on this show before, um, and it's about uh, mental uh, depression. And um, one to know is it a uh, mental illness or a state of being? Um, I know that you know, and, and I kind of you know tell tell my side of this. Um, I brought it up because I felt like um, you know, with the age and social media um, that we're in, and technology and things like that, we have a lot of things that can. Um, gain our attention. 
And I think that we let a lot of things in our ear gates and eye gates, um, and a lot of, and we see what a lot of people are doing, and, and other people may make decisions on what they see and not what is truth maybe at times. Um, and I think that has impacted the level of depression in the world. Um, because you you know you have people that maybe feel like they should be there or or wherever the case may be when somebody's out you know somewhere nice. So I believe that it is a state of being, um, and I believe that we can um, come out of it. But again, we have to recognize the flaws and things that that we have in us or and what is causing that, and then eliminate that. Um, and that could be again an environment um, that we're in. It could it could be those things. It could be uh, whatever distractions that we have in our life. Um, but again, we have to see those things. Um, I don't want to take up too much time, and I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Taylor. Um, what do you think? <laughs> That's a touchy subject for me, believe it or not. Okay. Um, because there was a time where I struggled with depression very badly. Mm-hmm. I agree with you to some extent that it can be a state of mind, mm -hmm. but then there's a flip side to it. Okay. And that could make it more of an illness, more than just a state mm -hmm. of mind. Mm -hmm. okay. And I speak from experience okay. when I say that, because after I got hurt, it wasn't a state of mind. Hmm. There were a lot of lows. There were a lot of highs. There were hospitalizations, doctors, medications. Mm -hmm. I have always been a strong person. Hmm. And I know for a fact that had it been a state of mind, I could have gotten out of it on my own. But it was more than just that. It was days where I couldn't remember anything. I kid you not. It was trying to remember things that happened in my childhood, listening to people asking me, you don't remember this? And I'm like, no, I don't. You don't remember this place? No, I don't. And try as I could, I couldn't remember. And the headaches. Yeah. I used yeah. to have headaches really bad. Yeah. But that's because I was hurt. Mm -hmm. So the doctors are calling it bipolar. They're calling it clinical depression. And there were so many names for it. Mm -hmm. And I was on one medication after the next. And they just was making me even more crazy because then I wasn't sleeping. So you see, it takes it to a whole new level than state of mind. Yes. So what I did was I put in my book the five natural highs. Okay. And those are so powerful because it does amazing things. And I could speak about them because they helped me. Mm -hmm. We're talking about eating regularly. I'm talking about I used to go to the gym five days a week. Mm. Because the medications are now working but I also wanted a different life. I wanted to be able to sleep at night. I wanted my thoughts to stop racing. Mm -hmm. So you see, that's why I say it's much more than a state of mind because at one point I had no control. Mm -hmm. Wanting that peace, you're being called a restless soul and you're trying to figure out what I'm calling a restless soul, but you're thinking everybody's mind races the way you do, and mm. then you realize, no, it doesn't. Wow. It's just you that your mind is racing. Mm. Chef's mind is not racing. Pastor's mind, Minister Bridget's mind is not racing. It's just Dr. Taylor's mind that's racing. So then when I realized that, now I was like, oh, everybody's mind doesn't do that. Everybody doesn't do that. And then that's when it started to creep in. Well, okay, I need to do something different because then now it's not normal. I Amen. become abnormal. Mm -hmm. So then comes the exercise. There comes the, I need to eat more healthy. I don't eat junk food for nobody. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't do the junk food. I can't do caffeine. I can't do the coffee like everyone else do. Mm -hmm. I don't do the red meat. I have to eat differently because then now I need to achieve something differently in life. Mm -hmm. So then I even also had, I remember telling my doctor, I need to go back to my first doctor. 
-hmm. And he had no idea what I'm talking about, but I had to go back to God. And it was a lot of praying, exercising, eating right, trying to sleep. And, and, you know, just the, the normal things that should make a person feel whole, that's what I had to do every day of my life so that I could get to that place where my energy is not driving people crazy. My energy still drives people crazy. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but try to do that without sleep. So I beg to differ to an extent that mm-hmm. is not just a state of mind. It's a mental thing that you struggle with because I got hurt. And it damaged my frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. So that changed things for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So then the days where I was very sad and just crying mm-hmm. for everything. Don't know why I'm crying. Mm-hmm. But then there's days where I'm so happy. And that's considered depression. Mm-hmm. But it was out of my control. Because it depends on what I ate. Wow. It mm-hmm. was really. Wow. The doctor told me about 30 years ago. No chocolate, no caffeine, no red meat. And I still don't do them mm-hmm. because they did something inside there that made my, my behavior out of control. Wow. So that's why I can sit here and say it's more than just a state of mind because I lived it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And <laughs> quite honestly, this is actually the first time I'm speaking about it out loud. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to be ashamed about because God already washed away all that shame. Yes. So, yeah, it, it, it can be more in-depth depending on the individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about it is his strength showed in your week. Yes, yes. He, I mean, that name is so fitting for that book because yes. as you read it, the things that I go to, and I tell people, don't sympathize with me, my story. Don't, don't, don't cry. Don't my teacher you. told me Absolutely. that she cried. I said, huh. don't. Huh. Look at what the story is. Look at the big picture. Uh-huh. I'm not that person anymore. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I've changed. And I still apologize to my children because I was going crazy, uh-huh. literally just one minute high on the roof and the next minute low, and I try to curtail it every day because I have so much energy. But thank God I'm not there anymore. Praise God. Amen. Yes. No medication either. <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to touch this one. Yeah, okay. He does what to Minister Charles, okay. go right ahead. I'm, I'm here to listen. This is powerful. Yes. You, uh, you can't sit down on hot coals, so I'm just going to leave that one alone. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Powerful. Um, profound. Profound, definitely. Oh, yeah. um, well, I, can understand, I can understand where uh, Dr. Taylor is coming from because I do have, uh, I have family members who have, you know, experienced uh, that type of situation. And um, truthfully, I, I was going to say that there are different levels of depression. Absolutely. And so some of them may be state of mind. But when you're talking about clinical depression, that's a whole other story. Yeah. And, and, and Dr. Taylor clearly has, has lived it. So mm-hmm. I defer to her on that. Definitely. Thank you for the enlightenment as well and sharing your story. Um, you know, for it to be the first time that you talk about it, I know that that's a uh, maybe a big stepping stone for you to be out to, and to share that, um, you know, to the viewing public. Um, but again, it's stories like those that can make a difference in someone else's life that you you may not even know. Um, so that is, that's amazing, um, and that shows a lot of strength for you for, uh, for doing that. So thank you, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, so I kind of wanna. Um, you know, we we I want to talk about you know each of you each of your each of your uh, lives. Um, I kind of want to start with you, uh, Pastor. Um, what um, you know led you to become a pastor? Wow, wow, wow! <laughs> uh, rejection, closed <laughs> doors. <laughs> no, I I really I really was. Um, at first, I, I mean, I changed I changed profession so many times. I was going to be a scientist at one point. That wasn't working out. Really? And then I wanted to be like my dad. He was a kidney kidney guy. He's an internal uh, internal medicine doctor. Um, so I wanted to do that. Um, and that wasn't working out with the sciences. And then when I got to undergrad, I tried computer science. And then I had these awesome professors uh, at Morehouse who taught African American studies. And it seemed like law was the way to go. Mm. And so when I got, <laughs> you guys are laughing at me. See, now you're letting me deal with my own inner trauma. <laughs> and 
and so and so and so you know I was in philosophy and and, and I, like I wanted to serve my people you know I wanted to give back and so I was going to take African American studies I was going to do political science philosophy and then I started I took my LSAT and my for some reason the LSAT wasn't working for me I I mean you talk about God closing doors so um, but then I love to preach for some reason. And so I I have to be honest with you, sort of like Joseph, I backed into the dream, so to speak. Yeah. And so if you talk to, when, when people that I grew up with hear that I'm a pastor, mm-hmm. the first thing they do is they check the spelling of my name. <laughs> <laughs> And some of them are probably listening now. Some of them are in England, and my dad is probably listening in Nigeria. They're six hours ahead, but they're, they're laughing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and one of them even came by my house, came all the way here from Houston last week, and told my wife, and said, if the Kumbu and Della die, said, the Lord has hope for me. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so, thank me to God, the Lord cleaned me up before He brought me back to Dayton. And so, I'm sure the parishioners are here right now. So, but, but what I, what I, what I heard was, I heard, I, I saw a man by the name of Reverend Clarence James preach, and Morehouse was a tradition of preachers. And there was just something in me that when I saw him preach, I said, in the words of the little eagle to the big eagle, "Boy, I wish I could fly like that." And that's when the door started opening for me. And and then I started reading about Dr. King and Malcolm and Howard Thurman and Mordecai Johnson and the black prophetic tradition. Mm-hmm. And then one thing led to another, and, and I found out that I really was fighting God. And then you've heard people say mm-hmm. that God's, God's mm-hmm. yes is bigger than your no, or your yes. arms are too uh, 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 short to, to box with God. And, and w- what, what I like to call that, my brother, is the authenticating process. I am really, and I'm not God, but I am very shy. I'm very leery, if you will, if not weary, about people who just say they heard from God and run to the pulpit. Mm. Um, You have to go through an authenticating Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. You have to go through a wilderness process uh, whereby whereby all the other doors shut. Because, you see, the only way you can know that you're a preacher is that you have to be shaken. You have to shake the shackles, the the, 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 the handcuffs of the gospel. Because the Bible says, Paul says, I'm a slave for Christ. So you have to shake them and try to break free from them. And when you can't break free, that's when you know you're called. Because, you see, you have to understand, once you get into this thing, people are going to accuse you of a whole lot. What do you mean? When you, what do you mean? I want to, you know, tap into that. You said um, you, when you know you're called, you um, have to break free from the chakras. Right. The, the only way you know you're called is when you try to break free and you can't break free. Gotcha. Be, because, because I'll be very honest with you, there's a lot of other things I could do. Mm-hmm. I could be a businessman. I love journalism. I could be a writer. I could be a historian. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I could do a lot of other things. I could run for politics. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I'm not able to because, like I said earlier, every time I wanted to do something else, the Lord will shut down those doors. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I believe that that has to take place is because in order for you, to, for the Lord to use you, Mm-hmm. In in my view, and I'm not I'm not speaking for all preachers. I'm just talking about for my tradition. Mm-hmm. You cannot get up there and not be clear as to what your calling is, because you're gonna go through a whole lot, and you have to hone your ear to hear God's voice. Mm-hmm. So so the, the temptations will come, and, and it's not just power, money, sex. It's the temptation. To listen to become megalomaniac. It's a temptation to hear your own. Want to hear your own voice. It's a temptation to for people for you to hear the clapping of people, and you have to get into God so deep that the clapping, that the that that whatever that the enticement is, is not what drives you. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and that means you have to have spent enough time in the wilderness, mm-hmm. Moses. Elisha, mm-hmm. Paul, Jesus, so that when, when that stuff comes, you're able to tell the devil, no, that's not why I'm called. Mm-hmm. Because it will come. It will come at every angle. And so, and so uh, uh, I am, uh, uh, if you've not been through anything, 
I can hear, if you've been through something, I can hear the accent of the intimate in your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you preach, the power of that pain, the poeticized pain will come through your voice. And if it's not there, then it's just like you, you hear the floweriness. And, and the only yeah. way I can say this is that the Bible says, try the spirit by the spirit to see whether it be of God. And so when things begin to come, I'm able to say, okay, I understand, I have this, but this belongs to God, I can give it back to God. Because when, 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 when the noise comes, you have to be able to hear God's voice through the noise, through your own noise, through your family's noise, mm-hmm. through the noise of, of the profession, through the noise of what people say about preachers, so that you're clear that, no, I'm carrying this cross, and I'm not going to let it down until the Lord turns my cross into a crown. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's simply uh, what I have I, I to talk about, you know, being pastor preacher. Definitely. <clears throat> Minister Charles. Yes. What led you, um, you know, on your journey? Um, what, um, you know, what kind of, you know, things that you that you wanted to discuss on what led you, um, uh, you know, to go that route? Um, <clears throat> well, truthfully, I have fought <laughs> I thought that when I felt the call to be a minister, I I did not think I was worthy. I did not think I should do it. I, it came to me later on in life um, after I had, you know, established myself as an educator and I had been doing a lot of things in the church, but the Lord was calling me to, to actually go up and, and deliver messages. However, I did not feel like I should do that. I, so I, I came up with every excuse imaginable. Mm. But he kept after me, and eventually uh, an opportunity arose where we had to find another church. Uh, the members of our church, were, it was, the church was sort of uh, breaking up, if you will. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole long story that we can't get into right now. But I went to another, it was, it's, it's still in the United Methodist Church. I went to another United Methodist Church. I prayed about it, and I went to another church. And the pastor there told me that he had prayed for God to send someone to help him, and God sent me. Hmm. And so that authenticated the fact that I was there. Um, and so right away he took me under his wings and, you know, and mentored me, and um, so right now I am not. I'm, I don't. I'm not a pastor of a church, but I do uh, work with the, the, the uh, senior pastor, and I, you know, I, I, whenever he grants me that uh, opportunity, I do deliver messages, and I, I work in the church as much as I can to help, you know, to help further God's kingdom here on earth. Amen. Um, but again. We can kick and we can scream and we can do whatever it is that we want to do. It's not up to us. Absolutely. All right? Yeah, According absolutely. to Psalms 127, verses 1 and 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders <laughs> labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So we can build whatever houses we want. We can say we're not that. We can build whatever professions we want to build. If God says that's not for you, if God says that's not what I want you to do, He's going to, you're just doing it in vain. He's going to just find a way to remove whatever so that you can turn in the direction that he wants you to turn into. If you've been, if you have been anointed, appointed, and approved by God. Amen. So I would uh, surmise that you have no regrets um, about this. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. (laughs) Absolutely none. (laughs) So speaking of um, no regrets. Um, you know, you have the floor, and I want to kind of give you the opportunity to, you know, you know, give a deep dive into your book, um, you know, and, and um, let, the, let the world know um, what they can find in about uh, No Regrets, or maybe without not telling the whole book. Um, but, you know, give a, uh, give a you know, a, a good listen to, uh, or let the people know what, what it is about uh, No Regrets um, and, you know, why it was important for you to do the book. Okay, so I'll start out by saying that No Regrets, again, was um, inspired by the life of my mother. However, it is a work of fiction. Uh, there's some parallels, and I do, you know, I, I do reserve <laughs> the right to, to, um, to sort of keep secret, if you will, what, what is actually um, something that happened and what is something that I made up. And even some of those things that actually happened, I have embellished and I have, you know, 
change them around a little bit. However, my mother was a very inspirational uh, person. She has since passed away. Um, so the, the story of no regrets, hmm. uh, it, it tells the story of a little girl named Eileen who lived in Antigua. And it starts out with her at five years old. Now, uh, I don't know what your background is, and I don't know the background of all the listeners. However, back in those days, little children had to work hard. Hmm. The whole thing, the whole idea was that everyone had to help out the family. And so even though she was only five years old, she had a lot of chores to do. And uh, again, like I mentioned before, discipline was very harsh. And um, so... Eileen had to uh, undergo a lot as she grew up. She faced many dangers, many challenges, and um, how she dealt with these, these, uh, you know, this adversity revealed her character layer by layer. And we see how Eileen, Eileen's faith in God helps her to overcome these things. And her mother, her mother was a very central figure in her life. Mm-hmm. And her mother told her a whole lot of uh, positive statements throughout that would sustain her for every dark period that she was going through. She would remember something that her mother, whom she called Mother Babe, she would remember Mother Babe's voice, and Mother Babe would tell her, you remember, you don't treat people the way they treat you. Treat them the way you want them to treat you. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and Mother Babe would teach her, a stitch in time saves nine, even though that is not... Um, necessarily from the Bible, it is one of the good things that Mother Babe said that uh, always helped her to just do things the right way. Mother Babe would say anything worth doing is worth doing right, and Mm. things like that. Um, uh, So anyway, uh, Eileen grew up and, um, you know, she she rose above. She was above uh, a lot of things, and I won't give away every single thing. She had many decisions that she had to make. Uh, there was one point in the book where she faced danger of being ravaged um, mm. physically mm. as a young girl, mm. and how she was able to, you know, how she, how that situation played out. Um, it's it's a lot of things. Also, there are a lot of themes that come out of this book. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. um, yes. like family. Yes. Like uh, chauvinism. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, relationships between, you know, it, between uh, various uh, members of the community. And um, so many things. So many. So many. Eileen uh, had to, at one point, ha- she had to stand up for herself and fight back. Mm-hmm. Now, some people mm-hmm. might say, oh, uh, if you're a Christian... Uh, you have to, you know, you should just turn the other cheek. But Eileen had turned it from cheek to cheek to cheek, <laughs> and she had run out of cheeks. And so, <laughs> wow. And so she, just, she, she, had, she felt she had to do something, and she defended herself. And you know what? That bully never bothered her again. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a story. It's a, it's a novel that has stories within the story. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, um, absolutely. yeah, and it's, I've heard, you know, I've had very good reviews about it. Um, yes, so it sounds, it sounds uh, adventurous, too. You yes, know, it's yes. like it takes you through a, um, a lot of different trials and ups and downs, and then it's uh, moving the places. So um, I definitely, especially with the title, No Regrets, um, that's definitely something that would entice me, um, just off the title alone, to go listen to the book, or to go... Speaking of listening, is these yes. books uh, available audio style? Well, I was just about to say, hmm, I wonder who told you. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, um, I actually did the narration of my book. Okay. Um, I just got done with the um, recording the audio book, but I have not taken it uh, the next step yet. Okay. So it has already been recorded, and I, I do have to go another step. Okay. That's kind of like, um, you know, when you're dealing with uh, books and things. I, I remember when I was a business manager, just a little off, off subject, so bear with me for a minute. But when I was a, um, a business manager with, um, with U.S. Bank, there was like um, uh, merchants. Um, so I used to have to do merchant selling as well. So what I used to tell these the business owners were, okay, well, you know, we're in a society now where people aren't just accepting cash. 
They're accepting mm-hmm. card and mm-hmm. digital forms yeah. of payment. Oh, and yeah. your business is 30 percent. Uh, will strive at a thir- at a higher rate of thirty percent, bare minimum, just by you accepting cards and digital forms yeah. of payment. Mm-hmm. Same thing as being an author. We got to make sure that you know when people, you know, people do like to still get hard copies of books and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also a lot easier to have those books to where they can be downloaded on someone's phone and they're just able to listen to them in this new world. Exactly. Um, so definitely that kudos to you with uh, making sure that, that you're getting those um, to audio um, because in this yeah. world that we're living in, that's probably the number one seller in the way that, that people yeah. buy it at this point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sure. May, may mm-hmm. I say a word before? Just just because I have really tried to get, I have digested these books, so these books live within me. Okay. And and if I may, just just quickly, before we, we talk about, before Dr. Taylor talks about her book, one of the one of the, the power and the beauty that you find in how because I see both of these women as powerful storytellers mm-hmm. and really I really wanted to come on to sort of highlight their work and, mm-hmm. and, and, and what you find right and I think that we need to talk about this more mm-hmm. is the heroic powers yeah. the, the heroic energy latent and emerging in black women. Mm. And, and 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 black power, black beauty, black decency, right? Black integrity, right? Black creativity emerging from these characters in mm. these books. And the reason why I think that's important is because on a very serious level, black women have to negotiate the intersectionality, if you will, of race, class, and gender. Right? Exactly. And so and so when you see these women emerging, right? Both in terms of reading their work, but knowing the authors, you see, you, 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 you can see that a young woman who is who is dealing with cyberbullying right now, or mm-hmm. dealing with the lack of a parent at home, or dealing with questions of identity, can really read the books and also get to know the authors and say, "I can overcome." Mm-hmm. That that's what I think that, 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 that you know, and and I counted at least twenty two things. I mean, they're dealing with color structuralism. They're dealing with uh, class consciousness. They're dealing with what does it mean to be a single parent and raise a family on meager fare. And so in a way, you really have to purchase the book to get not just the story, but the moral lessons and the intellectual mm-hmm. virtues that come out of these characters. And uh, mm-hmm. and I'm just here because I believe that it's just another way, my brother, because mm-hmm. you know this, of spreading the gospel, advancing the kingdom. And maybe there'll be somebody out there mm-hmm. that may not be churched. Exactly. You see what I'm saying? That can say, wow. I see what somebody can do, how God can reach somebody outside of church and then disciple them. Mm-hmm. And so I think the church becomes now uh, a school, if you will, that, that can open their doors to these kinds of people and say, wow, th- these are gifts to the church as well. And I think there's a message here for, for how we can do church in in a post-COVID world. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that about both of these authors, if I may. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll, Dr. Taylor, please go right in. <music>